So welcome to the second episode of the Physique Coaching Podcast. Today we're going to discuss some of our thoughts around hypertrophy, building muscle, and what we use to implement with our clients as our main kind of focuses. Yeah, do you want to uh, kick off talking about what we're trying to achieve with our training for, for muscle growth then? Uh, yeah, so fundamentally what we want to do is we want to give enough of a stimulus towards the muscle to cause some sort of adaptive response, which is going to be generally growth or growth is what we're going to care about. Yeah. Um, we are going to do that through a few of the things we're going to kind of cover today, which is making sure that we give it enough of a stimulus, uh, making sure that we don't give it too much stimulus. Uh, making sure that the stimulus that we're actually providing is conducive towards which is growing muscle, um, and then making sure that we manage other variables around that, such as fatigue and things like that. Yeah, so the, the sun's starting to come in my eyes now. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> squinted. Ah, say something wrong. Well, fuck you. <laughs> no, it was all good. All good. Um, yeah okay cool so let's start off by um talking about sort of creating that stimulus um even touching on sort of progressive overload what we're trying to do and achieve with that aspect of it well i suppose the the first thing to consider is that um the the training that we're doing is specific to the goal at hand um which sounds super simple but it is something that gets kind of messed up a lot um yeah. so uh, an, an easy scenario I can kind of relate this back to is that I'll train a lot of females being like a personal trainer you know most of your client base will be like females um, and then there will be a general want to you know get a better bum uh, get better legs um, and a lot of the time this will come down to factors such as muscle growth um, so they want to yeah. achieve some muscle growth in that region and then you will see um, kickbacks on the stepper um, and things like this. Now, if you want to do kickbacks on the stepper and you, you don't hurt anyone behind you, uh, this is absolutely fine. It's not going to do anything bad. Um, it'll get you tired, but it won't do anything bad. Um, but in terms of muscle growth, for instance, this probably isn't the best thing. We, we know there's some kind of boundaries that we need to stick between to cause some sort of adaptation, some sort of muscle growth. Um, and to give them as like a, a general rule of thumb, we know we need to work somewhere between five to 30 reps. We know that we need to fall somewhere around five reps away from failure or closer within those five to 30 reps. Yeah. And, and we know that we need to do this fairly repeatedly. We need to have a certain amount of times that we enter into that region uh, to cause enough of uh, enough of a stimulus. So, Obviously, when we're looking at doing things like kickbacks on the stepper or whatever else it is, you know, we might have racked up total, more total workload. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to lend itself best to growth. Um, an easy way to think of it, again, is like you look at Mo Farah. Mo Farah, like how many times does his feet hit the pavement and his quads yeah. and legs, everything else, but he doesn't have gigantic quads. They're not the biggest quads in the world. Um, so this is kind of like a... Yeah, a very simplistic way of looking at it, but hopefully saying that relates. Yeah, we don't want to we don't want to be getting our 
kind of aims and ideas crossed between what we're what, what we're trying to achieve and what we're actually doing those two need to marry up and need to be the same thing otherwise we're just gonna be spinning our wheel well from that point we we have to just manage expectations like sometimes um again going back to clients like you'll have clients that love playing football on saturday and sunday um yep. or, saturday or whatever day people play football on i don't know <laughs> don't watch football um or they might do mma or they might do something else now yeah you've had an MMA, a heavy MMA session or if you are in fight training or if you are in pre-season of football or if you've just played a game, the chances of you doing a very productive leg session afterwards or whatever session after MMA because pretty much your whole body is destroyed um, is not going to be great. So it's not to say don't do it, but it just means that you're going to have to manage expectations. If you are doing another task that isn't specific to the goal you've got, it is in some part going to start to take away from it. The degree of how much it takes away from it depends on how much you're doing of the other task. Yeah. And what we can, like we can expect some like local muscle fatigue occurring after like our hypertrophy sessions like and our resistance training is going to cause some pain discomfort because we're trying to trying to grow so we need that stimulus and we, we need that overload so there's going to be that carryover to if we're playing football and other things like if that is a potential primary focus we don't want performance dropping in that aspect either so it is, like you say, managing expectations and understanding what your priorities are. And if your sole goal is to build muscle, then you can go quite specific on what we're trying to do and structure out all your training, like have it down to a T and push and push and push. But when there's other factors starting to creep in, which is going to be the case because we all have a life anyway. So illness like holidays all these other things start to creep in that we've got to take into account to manage our training program manage our expectations and manage what we're trying to do and i think that's yeah. the biggest part about about like programming is it's just managing it yeah it is the, that is probably the hardest bit i mean it's not hard to to write a program i know some people Make it seem like it's hard. It's not hard. It's not. Yeah. It's time consuming. And yeah, obviously you need to know some fundamental knowledge. But once you do know that, it's like a baker baking a cake. Like it's not necessarily the hardest thing to do anymore. Yeah. The hardest thing now is like that baker again is coming in and fulfilling a client's order of how he wants it to look and all the decoration and everything else that goes with it. it that's where we come in to try and manage everything else that goes along with it because. We have to make sure that whatever program you're doing can be progressive in nature and it needs to be progressive in nature. Yeah. Um, so essentially this means that, that that kind of muscle growth is going to occur when you get into uh, the upper threshold of what you can do in terms of one individual set. So if we're doing a set of one to 10 and the 10th rep is failure, um, and that's enough now of the stimulus to cause some sort of growth and adaptation. But if we stay on that, that 10 reps with a hundred kilos on a squat, let's say for the next four, five, six, seven weeks, eventually 
you're going to drop down in the amount of stimulus or how close to failure that is because your body's going to adapt. So by week two, maybe you're two reps away from failure. By week three, maybe you're three reps away from failure. By week four, maybe you're four reps away from failure. Eventually, you're going to drop out of that region of being somewhere around five reps from failure or above. Um, Now the stimulus is going to drop off. Um, And if you don't progress it over time, you're, you're going to fall out of that kind of little adaptive window. So yeah. we have to make sure that we're kind of keeping up with that over time. And we also have to make sure that we're, we're essentially not doing too much that then we can't recover from it as well. Um, which is kind of where the, the football and the MMA scenario come in is that those two things right there will also be incurring a recovery demand like they they need your body to recover from the same way it needs to recover from your training session so if we're kind of pushing in more of a recovery demand from these aspects well then we have to take something away from training otherwise you're going to reach a place where you just can't recover at all so an easy analogy to think about it like is uh, like a, a kitchen sink um, and you've got kind of multiple taps turned on going into the kitchen sink um, now, the, the kitchen sink is how much kind of stuff you can handle. Um, and it kind of empties at a, a little steady kind of stri- uh, trickle pace. Um, yeah. Now, if we keep on turning on more and more taps from other areas and turning up the pressure, eventually that sink's going to reach a capacity where it can no longer empty on time and it's going to spill out over the top. And then you're going to fuck up the carpet and that's going to be a ball lake and someone's going to have a go at you. You don't want to mess up Someone's going to have to clean it. And... Someone's going to clean that. So essentially, you're just trying to make sure that if you have to turn on one of those taps from another area that's turned up much higher than normal, you know, football, MMA comes along, cranks up the tap. We're going to have to turn the tap down from another area, which might be training or whatever else. Otherwise, that sink's going to overflow. Yeah. And if we were to look at that example with just resistance training, for example, we have no other real um, outputs in terms of like other sports, other things like that. We still do have other stressors that are going to be going into that, that sink as well. But with our resistance training tap, we might just turn it on and it's filling up, but not quick enough. So we turn up a little bit, turn up a little bit more. Yeah. At a point, that sink's going to start filling up. And so we need to turn it down, turn it off. Like, and that's our periodization with our resistance training as well. There's going to be phases where we want to deload, want to bring our volume down allow ourselves to recover, drain that sink so we can fill it back up again. Well, just think about it. Like uh, for, for most people listening to this, you're going to be in a, a general kind of gym goer who wants to get in good shape. You're not a paid athlete. This isn't something you do for a living. So you know that throughout your lifestyle, and an easy way to think about it is paid athletes don't do another job for a living. And there's a very yeah. specific reason they don't do another job for a living is because that shit is stressful. Um, and all of those kind of stresses that come from those other areas, we also have to recover from. We also have to put some sort of recovery demand towards, which also takes away from what we can handle during training. Um, 
like in a normal life, if you have a argument with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, if you have you know money worries, if you have house worries, if your dog has shit on the carpet, that shit costs something, and and you you have to kind of allocate some sort of demand towards that. So if you've got a really busy period of work coming up, maybe right now is a good time to drop training down to a lower volume. So you're still able to kind of handle it. You're still able to cause some sort of adaptive response to it, or maybe just hit maintenance, but you're certainly not regressing, which if you carried on full pace ahead the whole time, you would start to regress, which counterintuitive. Well, no one wants to do that. And usually, I mean, me personally, I find that, and I think I've done this as well, that when that starts to happen, you usually go in your head, oh, well, I just need to train harder or I need to do yeah. more to catch back up again. And, and it's the worst possible thing. It even gets, it gets even worse. So it's just about understanding these, these factors and understanding things like fatigue management and, and keeping a good close eye on them and remembering the balance between things. Yeah. And a lot of this comes with, with time. And as you, as you learn your body, as you get used to understanding these different elements and, go from training cycle to training cycle to training cycle after a while you start to see patterns you start to see these things occurring and you'll find better ways of managing things like a good example is with with rob like one of the other the other physique coaches Who's that? rob nope. rob <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> He's a lovely chap. Uh, but obviously he's a, a vehicle mechanic um, through like his, his day job, heavy, heavy goods vehicles. And he does that with a shift pattern. So what we found is as we were working through his, his contest prep and actually going into um, his off season, we found that we had to put his deloads on certain weeks that just was easier for him to manage because if we were putting it with other weeks, it was just becoming too much and it was easier to, to go for a week where he had more time um, and certain sort of time brackets. It was just a better lifestyle management for him and it's something he preferred to do. So we just married that up and it may not be, the most optimal way because some like train cycles might be able to get an extra week out, but the trade-off isn't there because it causes more stress than not having that marry up and work well for him. So it's, it's these things we've got to take into consideration when we're programming. Well, even, um, with uh, causing some sort of overload and where we was talking about doing it with like reps, like so we're working for a high enough intensity within set, uh, within the set itself, and making sure that stimulus is progressive. Um, we also need to do things like that with uh, the total number of sets maybe we're doing uh, per body part, per training cycle. So yep. we can interlink things like fatigue management, that if we've got a 
crazily busy time coming up at work because as well as having to go up and that's doing this we can't go up forever like we'd eventually be doing 60 working sets a week on biceps and ain't no one got time for that like we'd be in the gym yeah. from morning till till night so we have to also go through periods of resensitization we have to go through periods of much lower volume again um, and we can time work in um we can time maybe heavy workflows with actually being in something like a low volume phase of training. So instead of gym sessions having to have a huge recovery demand to them and just gym sessions in general, having to take maybe an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever, we can cut that time down spent in the gym and we can cut down the recovery demand from the individual session. So having that kind of periodized approach to to training cycles themselves, which would be sort of like four to eight week blocks of training, um, can be really, really fruitful for, for your progression. Work with what you've got at hand. Work with how your schedule works and work your training around that. Yeah. And that's a key point. Is It's quite individual like what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for another person, but we have these overarching principles or underlying principles that we want to focus on. And we know that, for example, like rep ranges, probably going to want to be working within sort of five to 30 reps predominantly. Um, if we're dropping below that, <laughs> there's going to be a, big effect on the central nervous system and not enough tension really um, to be able to grow. We're not going to be working to enough potential. Fatigue shoots up, stimulus yeah. doesn't get crazy higher and we're always kind of working in a balance of fatigue and stimulus. So if fatigue goes too high, and you find we're having to recover all the time and, and deload off every other week rather than actually ever reaching a point of enough of a stimulus being achieved. Yeah. It's this constant flux we're trying to marry up between doing enough volume to grow, recovering enough, and yeah. having that balance. The Goldilocks zone, five to thirty. Probably the Goldilocks zone, somewhere that not too hot, not too cold, just about right. Yeah. Um, one point I just quickly thought we could touch on is sort of general people's expectations of building muscle. Now, with a lot of even like celebrity transformations and or even like transformations people see on Instagram, there's this expectation that we can grow a lot of muscle very quickly. And this is something that then trickles into like training because they think that they need to push harder and harder and harder and harder and as hard as you can constantly to grow all this muscle. Like suddenly they're going to wake up the next day with just like cap delts, big traps and just full pecs when realistically this shit takes time. Yeah. And it takes a hell of a lot of time in early stages. If you're new to resistance training, you'll probably build a fair bit of muscle quite quickly, but it's going to slow down and you're going to need to put more focus into what you're doing, how you're doing it, other aspects of your life, your nutrition, 
like we're saying, uh, fatigue management, stress, sleep, all these different areas to be able to grow as best possible. I think the, the, the issue with that side of things is that usually, the, and I'm not going to say this in a way to like slag anyone off because at the end of the day, you've got to do what you've got to do. Uh, but usually the, the genetically elites will have the biggest kind of followings on yeah. um, online. So obviously people will look up to them, um, which is completely understandable. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, the, the issue is that uh, genetics play a huge card in things. No matter if people want to accept it or not, they do. Yeah. So, and the thing is, the genetically elite, they're going to get results whatever they do so yeah. they're getting resu- results in spite of the training that they do this this like this what they're doing their management all these other things but if they were to manage things better could they get better results highly likely but because they're in this bracket like the genetically elite their results are up there anyway like for us other kind of mere mortals like we're trying as hard as we can to get exactly. there He's absolutely fucking jacked. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Doesn't train. I wish. Um, <laughs> no, like, yeah. Uh, if if uh, it's understandable, like we, we follow, like we always follow, like genetically elite people, and it's the same way. If you followed a model's beauty care regime online, you're not going to turn into the model. Yeah. Um, like the model, like the same way, like a genetically elite person's program online isn't going to make you look like them. Unfortunately, they could pretty much walk past the dumbbell and put on a bunch of muscle, whereas we'd unfortunately have to lift it up and do a few sets with it. Like, it's just the kind of way it works. And unfortunately, yeah. as well, usually the the advice that uh, that demographic of people will give will be very, very uh, uh, overly simplistic. Now, there is good to be simplistic in a way that, as long as it still carries a point and makes sense, like it's great to be simple with it. So it appeals to many people. But with a lot of their stuff, it will be very overly simplified, which will mean the two things one, it won't do much for you. Um, and two, it's quite appealing to you because. I'm the same. Like if I read something and don't understand it, my head kind of goes, "Yeah, you know, I'll go back and read that later." Yeah. Whereas if it's a picture of a jack guy going do this for four sets of ten to fifteen, I'm, yeah, you know, like you're like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna do that for four sets of ten to fifteen. I look like that. That's easy. It's simple. Like yeah. we like simplicity, but sometimes we need to put a bit more effort into what we're doing. Exactly. It has, to, it has to carry worth, but simplicity has to carry worth with it. If it doesn't, then it is just overly reductionist. And if, if we're trying to build muscle, we're going to need to put effort in. Like, we're going to need to work on some of these key factors we've been outlining and make sure that we are having more control over our lifestyle, having more control over our training and forcing some of these things. If you're just going into the gym and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this today, do that today, you might get some growth potential, but that, for example, that could be like a pound of muscle over a year. Whereas if you're structuring things properly, you're going to be causing more growth 
which well, is what we want. That's, that's kind of the, the area you go into with fatigue management where you're, you're thinking about, okay, so how many rest days do I have between sessions? Because I know if I go into one session, I do a hard quad session um, and then I'm going into maybe another hard quad session a day later or two days later, the, the muscle in that area is not going to be recovered enough to go in and do another progressive training session. So when I go back in and do it again, one, it won't be progressive. Two, it'll probably cause a, an increasing amount of uh, recovery demand towards that area, which then again, I might not recover from by the next session. And now I've started to regress in performance. Um, I know I need a progressive stimulus to be growing. So now that's gone. Um, and then we go a little bit further from that and we think, okay, so if I'm training collectively harder and harder and harder over time, I'm going to get somewhere down the road where even though I'm recovering between sessions, um, which is allowing me to progress, I'm not completely recovering. There's always some sort of fatigue that's carried across. There's always a tiny bit of fatigue that's carried over. Yeah. And eventually it accumulates and um, ends up with you needing to have something like a deload. But the problem with a deload is if you don't know what it is, um, it will probably manifest itself into you in a way that just ends up with lack of motivation, lack of wanting to train. And you see this a lot, and I see it a lot with people where they'll be going and hitting the gym really hard for like four to six weeks. You'll see that their Instagram stories of them like posting online, like hit the gym again at like 6 a.m. You're like brilliant. And then like a few weeks down the, the line, they're, they're just like, ah, oh, I've lost all motivation for the gym. I don't want to go anymore. Like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And obviously, these aren't our clients. We, we structure these things in for them. But it's, it's just a, a lack of understanding. Now, they'll have sort of like two, two weeks off of the gym because they've driven themselves into such a hole yeah. two, four weeks off. They've lost all of that adaptation that they've made, or at least most of it. Then they go back to the gym and you're kind of retreading old ground and that's where you spend most of the year and you go through a yo-yo effect like it. Just in that vicious cycle. Yeah. yeah. And that's, but that's the thing about deloads. Like it's, it's preempting, preempting that effect. So you, so you don't go into that state where you start your training sessions feeling like absolute crap and then you start performing badly. So that makes you feel worse, but you think you need to just push harder. So next week, like you're going in like, okay, I've got to push harder because last week was like awful. But it's, it's that mental game that you're thinking to push harder and harder when actually you should have deloaded like that previous week, allowed yourself to recover and then gone back into this week, current week's session feeling great. And like, right, I can push again. I feel recovered i'm raring to go and I've, I've that's the key i've literally watched it cause problems with people in their um, like relationships and stuff like that where oh, really yeah like when they're, they're like oh my, my, my girlfriend's usually always guys um <laughs> thinks i'm being a um, being an arsehole or thinks i'm like just so invested in the gym and it's because when you get into that state like it's all you can think about not the gym yeah. per se but that it's like when you are very, very tired and you haven't been to bed yet and you're just sort of like walking around like a bit of a zombie, very yeah. negative in your head, and then you get to bed and you can't sleep. And then it, that is literally a deload. Like you are just, or that's going a little bit too far and needing a deload. You're just yeah. 
dead and everything is negatively driven around you. And um, yeah, like you, you see this a lot and this is what happens if things like that aren't managed. And I think that's the key is, I was saying, is just managing it all. Okay, so Steve, do you want to basically summarize kind of some of the aspects that we've covered in this in kind of like a nice easy way for people to take away and put into their into their training? I love it when you do this to me. All right, so we want to make it specific to the goal at hand. So if the goal is to grow muscle, we train in a way that is conducive to muscle growth. So five to 30 rep range, uh, somewhere five reps away from failure or closer. Um, the amount of times we enter into that region, so the amount of sets we do, probably a good idea to be somewhere between 10 to 20 working sets per muscle group per week. Um, yeah, so biggest bits on that. Then we've got, we've got to make sure that the stimulus that we're imparting is progressive in nature. So if we're always staying at the same amount of weight that we're doing and the same amount of reps that we're doing, and even the same amount of sets we're doing after a while, um, we can end up being very desensitized towards that stimulus. We end up falling out of that adaptive window. Um, and it is a window. We kind of want to be operating somewhere around there. So uh, we need to make sure that we're kind of uh, always playing catch up to that window. We're always chasing it down. We're always kind of moving ourselves back into the window. Don't see it like you have to kind of force out reps to the stage of where your bum hole feels like it's going to fall out or your arm. <laughs> no one wants that. No one wants that. No one wants to see your bum hole. So what we instead want to do is, well, I'm sure someone's Don't worry. <laughs> what we want to do instead is just make sure that we're working in that upper capacity. And if you think that means that I'm saying you can train easy and keep up with it, not at all. It is extremely hard to be working up at that upper capacity for multiple yeah. sets um, over multiple weeks. So if you think it's easy, chances are you're not working there. So just have a kind of consideration, have a think about that. Yeah. One quick thing I would say on that is if you ever question how close to failure you are, look for those reps where the movement really begins to slow down. Yeah. So yeah. Really starts to slow down as you're going through it. Easiest way to tell this sometimes is not to kind of feel it because feeling it at the end of the day, when it hurts, we all want to give up. Um, just get someone to record it or record it yourself and watch it back. Yeah, that's the best so, thing you can do. Yeah, very, very telling. Um, then we have to keep into consideration things like fatigue management. So if we quickly summarize some of the easy ones, it's going to be uh, leaving enough rest days between session. Uh, again, it's going to be very individual uh, dependent it's going to be based on how much actual workload are you doing in the session before so if you did 15 working sets on your quads well that might take longer to recover from than if you did six so again kind of keep it applicable to what you're doing so rest days between sessions make sure we're fully recovered before we get into the next session so no lingering soreness performance can improve or at least stay the same uh, deload to the end of a training cycle. So after anywhere around four to eight weeks of accumulated training, we're going to also accumulate fatigue. Uh, we need to manage that fatigue. Otherwise you get to the stage that we talked about before where potential breakups are on the cards. You definitely don't want to train. 
Yeah. Um, appetite goes out the window, sleep's terrible, everything else gets worse. Um, and then we can't, and we can't keep up the training. Uh, we can't progress from that stage. We, we've in fact, actually, if we keep pushing that window, we actually start to regress. And then that's no good for muscle growth anyway. No. Um, and then make sure deloads aren't too stimulative. This is one thing I added in because the amount of people I see doing deloads that are not deloads, they are still very, very taxing. Um, yeah, they're, still, they're like week two or three of a training program. It's like, well, it's, you just, it's not, it's not quite, quite. I understand. I, I do get it because yeah. I'm like, I don't like doing a deload. Like, no one likes doing a deload. No. Actually, you get to the end of a very hard training cycle, you actually bloody love a deload until the last bit yeah. of the deload. But if the deload, the, de the point of the deload is not to grow muscle, it's not to cause an adaptive response. And remember that you can retain muscle with like one third of the amount of volume that you had before. And this is only talking about like in, in a bit of a longer scale than a week anyway, because deload is generally going to be like a week block of time yeah. on average. So with us knowing that we can maintain muscle on such a low amount of volume, um, then we're looking at making sure that we maintain kind of neurological adaptations. And we can do that with relatively light, light volumes anyway, and light loads. So you can't really underdo it. Um, so just be aware of not kind of going too close to failure or for too often during a deload. If you're going close yeah. to failure, slash that volume right down. And vice versa. Um, then we've got managing other lifestyle factors within fatigue management. So if your sleep quality or sleep length is bad, if you are having a particularly stressful time at work, if you are Googling how to kill your spouse, if you are if you've got a new dog and that dog has shit on your bed and you've kept you up for the last five nights in a row, um, then maybe don't be having a heavy session week or a heavy volume week or be plotting in uh, a heavy volume cycle, training cycle. Like maybe it's best to deal with what you've got, manage your training around what you've got. Remember that you're not a paid athlete. So this is kind of the way we have to live life yeah. one way than the other. Um, remember to um, be able to put your training cycles into uh, rough kind of orders that will make sense. So if we've got a high volume training block and another high volume training block, eventually after a certain amount of high volume training blocks, you're not really going to be sensitive towards volume anymore. So maybe put in a lighter volume or a lower volume training block or some other kind of training modality. Um, that's pretty much the most of it. Yeah, that was a good old waffle, wasn't it? That was that was that was an impressive waffle. I'll give you that. It was Thanks. it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. What was it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Pretty much my takeaways from that are: manage your training. Don't be a dick. Don't let your dog shit on your bed. And don't I'll let your dog shit on your bed. <laughs> perfect we'll wrap it up there um for you guys listening make sure that you subscribe to the podcast it would mean a lot to us um whether you listen to us on spotify apple podcasts or if you're on the youtube channel click like 
click subscribe, all those things. We have no shame. Whatever they are. Yeah. No. You have your IP address, please. Yeah. <laughs> click it. And we'll catch you in the next one. See you later, guys.